Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Milo. If you're watching from home, we're so glad to have you here with us, uh, to connect with us here uh, this morning. Uh, if you get your Bibles out this morning, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 1. We're going to read some scripture together to get our time started, and then we'll kind of dive uh, right in. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 39. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. This is a, a common uh, scripture for us. Uh, if you're in this room with us here, I'd like you to stand. Uh, we're going to read through this passage real quick. So if you'll throw your mask back on and we'll stand up and just be able to read through uh, these verses beginning in 39 just to help us to be able to set the stage for where we're going today. Ready? Here we go. <clears throat> Verse 39, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in, her, in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this familiar text. Lord, as we open it today, Lord, we pray that it would revitalize us and refresh us to the beauty of the Christmas narrative. Uh, Lord, that we would be connected to it, we'd be encouraged by it today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, folks. If you're in the room, you may be seated. Again, if you're watching at home, we're so glad you're here with us. Uh, if you're watching at home, just take, you know, the, the 30 minutes or so that I'm going to be with you this morning and stop shopping online for a few minutes, okay? If you're in the room, uh, the same rules apply. Just, just hold off for a second. I know that you're real excited about that deal that you're going to get on the pen that writes upside down in space, but we need to make sure uh, that we're focused here uh, together uh, this morning. How many of you uh, went out and had a fantastic Black Friday shopping day? Raise your hands. Do not raise your hand. You're not supposed to raise your hands. You'll get in trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, some of you did that. Some of you went out, you went shopping, and you got the things that you wanted, that you needed, and you nailed it. Good for you. Some of you did the same thing online. Did any of you do that online? I, I, I assume some of you did. Uh, some of it's uh, kind of happening this weekend. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is that uh, as we kind of look at this, there's going to be two ways to live, two ways uh, to live our lives. But just as kind of an opening, I want to just talk about there's two ways to approach uh, Christmas shopping. There's two ways to approach Christmas shopping. One of them is this. Maybe you are this person. There is a planned approach on how you are going to uh, knock out your Christmas shopping uh, task that lies ahead of you. And some of you know this already, and some of you have been working on this diligently. The best way, uh, particularly if you want to spend $200 or less on all of your Christmas gifts, this is what you need to do. Jane is laughing at me because I think she's probably one of the people who are doing this. You start Christmas shopping on December 26th. 
that's when you begin to go after Christmas shopping. Why? Because those are the best deals. Those are the best time to go after it. And so what you do as you begin your shopping, uh, the day after Christmas, after you've had your eggnog and after you've had your belly full of ham, you go out that night uh, or maybe the following morning and you get to it. You go to work. Uh, you're going to get the best deals you possibly can because you know uh, Christmas is just around the corner and you've got to get started as soon as you possibly can. And so here's what you do. You go and you go shopping. You work on your shopping list. Make sure you've got them all finalized by uh, the first of the year to make sure that you're settled in. And then you begin uh, and you set up your attic and you put bins in your attic. And each bin, uh, you put the Christmas list or the wish list for that person that you love. They each get a box in the attic. Make sure it stays locked so your kids don't find it. And then when you come in there, then throughout the year, you can work through that list. Make sure that you have uh, all of the sales, 50% off, 80% off, whatever it is, and make sure you get that Christmas list taken care of all year long. And then you will be relaxed and happy the end of the year uh, because you had your Christmas list all knocked out. Is that any of you? Is that the way that you approach Christmas shopping? Not many of us. We all know that we should do that or, or would like to do that. Realistically, we don't do that. Uh, and so what we have is more the panicked approach. The panicked approach is what uh, we are marketed for every single year during the Thanksgiving Day Parade. You get the marketing blitz that says, you must go as soon as this parade is over, go shopping. And uh, it wasn't as much this year. It was, okay, get online as quick as you can. The deals are starting now. Get to work. You've got work to do. Christmas shopping is upon us. To the point that we can get so panicked and amped up. I watched, uh, and NBC News, NBC News reported that there was a 7-year-old in New Jersey who called 911 in a panic because in her home, and maybe you guys do this as well, in her home, uh, there was an elf on the shelf. You familiar? And so she knocked the elf on the shelf with a, with a ball off the wall accidentally. And so the elf fell down. And if you know the, the storyline behind the elf on the shelf, it's always watching to make sure that you're naughty or you're nice. And if, if that's the case, if you knock the elf off the shelf, then potentially you won't get any Christmas presents. And so uh, this girl panicked. She called 911 and says, I've knocked off this and, and I don't know what to do. And then realized as it was happening that she probably should not have called. She apparently said that she was trying to call her dad, not call 911. I don't know how those numbers are similar to one another. Nonetheless, that's what she called. That's who she called. And they tried to talk. She tried to talk the police officer or, or the dispatcher from sending someone to the house. But they did send someone anyway. Uh, she met the officer at the door and in a hushed voice asked him, tried to shush him away because her mom was still asleep in the other room. Uh, and then they had uh, the discussion there. Uh, but it's not just little kids who get confused and get panicked about Christmas. We, do you remember when Toys R Us was a store that we went to and interacted with and all those things? Uh, in, in Palm Desert, this is going back, this is 2008, out in Palm Desert, California, uh, there was a battle in a Black Friday shopping mall uh, where there was a Toys R Us, and these two ladies were fighting over a, a gift, and the lady punched the other lady in the face. And, her, and she was bleeding out of the nose, and what would happen? But her husband stepped up, and the other husband stepped up, and there in Palm Springs, or excuse me, Palm Desert, there was a gunfight in Toys R Us because of this battle over a gift. It's absurd. Some of you are familiar with Travis Tritt. He's an old country music star. He, he got his start in a lot of dives and like really uh, seedy places in the beginning of his career, and he talked about what he would do if a bar fight, if a brawl ever broke out in the bars, that he would stop the music that he was playing and quietly begin to play the song, Silent Night. And just the calm would come kind of over the room and they would calm down and they could kind of go on with what's going on. In some ways, we kind of need that, don't we? Don't we kind of need a calming of our spirit, 
uh, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. In many ways, as we come to you this morning, we're coming to you with a new sermon series. We're going to carry this through Advent. We're going to carry it through Christmas. And we're just trying to, to look at Scripture and, and be able to look again at the Christmas story with a calming of our spirit to be able to go back to what is the most important thing. And for us to look here, uh, we would hope that this morning, there are a few different ways, different approaches that we can have to our life, but there's an approach that will leave you, uh, it'll leave you isolated, it'll leave you anxious, it'll leave you afraid, it'll leave you concerned, or there's a way to live your life that will leave you connected, it will leave you confident, and, and it'll also leave you encouraged. And our hope and our desire in this sermon series, and certainly in my message this morning, is to kind of leave you with that as you leave today, is to be able to have an approach to life, because we really believe that that's the way we ought to live. So what are those approaches to life? Well, first is this. There's the bottom-up approach. I want to explain what I'm talking about. There's the bottom-up approach, and let me define that for you. So start with your experiences of happiness or sadness and project that onto your image of God. That's one way that you can live your life. And many of us do live our lives this way. We start with our experiences, what we see in the world around us, and a happiness, sadness, all that we've gone through, and you project that onto your image of God. So when things are good, when your experiences are good, you feel like God is good and that He's close and He loves me and He cares for me. But when things are bad, you begin to worry and you begin to get concerned and you really start to ask this question. You start to say, is there a God. And you start to get confused. And the result is when you have this bottom-up approach to life, your experiences start to shape you and your sin and your sadness and your suffering. And then you start to project them on God. And when you go through difficult times, when you experience difficult things, and the people around you are mean and they're hateful and they're sinful, what do you do? Do you run to God or do you run from God because you blame Him for what you've been going through? So if you're here this morning and, and the world that you're living in and the experiences that you're having right now are leaving you uncertain and you're afraid, how are things going to work out? You'll find that it's pretty complicated if you keep kind of pushing that image and that projection on God. So then there's the other approach. There's the top-down approach. The top-down approach says, start where God is who He says He is. And that all the stories that we read in Scripture are true. Start there. If we start there, it's to assume that God is who he says he is, the Bible is true, the stories are true, and that reveals to us the character, character, the nature, and what we will call the attributes of God. So we believe that, and then interpreting our life through that lens and light of who God is and what he says and how he teaches us and the promises that he has given us. If that's the case, then we go to scripture and we realize that God is good. He made the world good, and we've corrupted it through our own sin. And the sin and the suffering and the sadness and the things that we experience here on earth, that's a result of our sin. It's not because of God. It's because there's an enemy working against us who's, whose job it is to confuse and to, to mess things up and, and to articulate things in a way that confuse us and throw us off. He, he prowls like a lion in the night, we are told. And if that's the case, then God is good and he wants more for us and we continue to get confused and get lost in the way. If that's the case, then there's this unfolding and there's a story that is being written all through Scripture. There's this unfolding that God is a redeemer and God is a, is a God of restoration and God is a God who is going to make all things right and all things new and He is sending to us through His Messiah a deliverer and a Savior. And so when we're suffering and when we are sinning 
And when we are anxious and when we are frustrated, we turn and we focus and we trust in God. And instead of running away from him, we find ourselves running to him. And we can look around and we can see other examples of this. In culture, we can see this. We can see people and we can see examples that are very negative. There are, there are people who respond in ways that are deplorable. Their, their life gets messed up, their life gets confusing, and their legacy and all that they have influenced in just seems like it crumbles in on top of them. And we have warnings from God that this will happen. And there's other people who respond to God in faith. They trust him. They trust his word. They trust his character. They trust his promises, particularly in the most difficult of circumstances. And they are for us wonderful examples. But if we only look at the examples that we see in the room or the examples that we see in the relationships that we have, we will find ourselves lacking when it comes to the completeness of what God has put out there for us. If we actually believe that God's word is a blueprint for our lives, then we should actually believe that there is something, there are examples for us, there are instances for us to look at to demonstrate what it looks like to live this life and to walk this life in a way that is focused on him rather than focused on ourselves. So there are two ways to live. Today we're going to look at two examples in Scripture that we can look at, and that is of Zechariah and of Mary. We are in the book of Luke. This is a transition uh, into a different gospel. We've been in the gospel of Matthew. Now we're in the gospel of Luke. Luke is also the author of the book of Acts, and so we have a lot of material from Luke. Luke traveled with the apostle Paul. Uh, He documented many of the things. He was a Gentile, so he was not of Jewish birth. Uh, He was most likely either a lawyer or a physician. He was a professional nonetheless, and he was making certain that he wanted to document the way that Paul moved uh, through the region and how he shared the gospel again and again and again. And so then now now, he, this is his first letter that he writes to this man named Theophilus. He wants to be able to communicate uh, the way that the gospel began, the way that the story began. And he goes through in detail to be able to talk through not only how the gospel began, but how it connects to those who are far from God, the Gentiles, those who are at the extremes, because that's the perspective that he is writing through. And at the beginning of the book of Luke, and it's where we often go when we come here and look at the Christmas narrative, uh, there's something about kind of coming into the book of Luke, which is similar to coming into maybe a shopping mall at Christmas time, or maybe even uh, more like coming into a cathedral, where it just seems like the choirs are singing. There's music that is coming, and it just kind of sets the mood, sets the pace as you begin the gospel of Luke. And there are songs being sung, the song of Zechariah, the song of Mary, the song of Simeon. And all the songs of the angels and the shepherds. And, and there's just all of this music that kind of comes at you and just sets the tone for where the rest of the book will go. And so we're going to contrast, we're going to look at the song of Zechariah this morning versus the song of Mary. So we'll go back just a few verses from where we just began a moment ago. This is Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 11. And this is where we meet Zechariah and how his interaction with a very similar angel, the same angel is. Verse 11 of chapter 1 says this, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. He was frozen in fear. He, he could not move. He could not react. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. But your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their 
God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts and the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So let me rephrase the question. Zechariah is saying it this way. How can this be? In the New International Version, where I'm reading from today, it's actually very distinctly written that way. How can this be? You see that he is serving, Zechariah is serving at a priest in Judea. We just said that uh, uh, Luke, as he is writing, that he's most likely a physician. And he kind of points out, he, he makes sure that we all realize that he is well along in years. I'm beginning to have to make my annual physical every year. And every year there's different things that they say, okay, now that you're getting a little bit older, you need to have this test every year. You need to do this or you need to do that. Some of you are getting even more instruction. It says now that you're at a certain age, you need to do this no longer. Don't do that anymore. Uh, Racquetball is no longer in your future, right? So well along in years, he's pointing out, this is beyond. He says, I'm an old man and my wife. He's pointing these things out. But when Zachariah says, how can this be? He's responding with his own experiences. He's responding to what his life has looked like. Because you see, he's actually been a priest in the temple there. And for years, here he and his wife had, had served there in the temple. And for years, it would appear to the general population that are there in the community that there is something in sinful in his life because God will not bless he and his wife with any children. They were barren for years, unable to have children. And that was a sign to most people in the community that there was something wrong with him. That they could not listen to his teaching. They could not listen to what he had to say or the counsel that he gave. Because if God wasn't blessing him with children, there must be something wrong with him or with Elizabeth. When he comes face to face with an angel, the same thing we see all in Scripture. Like this is not the little uh, naked angel that's sitting on your shoulder. This is an angel that is the glory of God around it. And, and they find themselves flat on their face before him. And what does the angel say? Similar to how we see it in Scripture other times. It seems like every time an angel shows up, they're saying, get up off the ground. Don't be afraid, even though the people in the room are terrified. So Zechariah is terrified. But he asks this question, how can this be? He's looking at it through the lens of his life and what he's experienced. He's filled with doubt and disbelief. I've, I've lived a long time. I've seen everything that's come and gone, and I've never seen something work in this way. I don't think this is possible. I don't think that it's possible to happen in my life, my wife's life. It hasn't happened up until now, so it won't happen in the future. How can this be? It is a bottom-up approach. It is an experience-driven faith. This is my experience is that you're not going to do anything, God. That's what he's really saying. And what's the result of him saying it? The angel immediately closes his lips. He is mute from that point on because of his disbelief. Later we'll find him repent of that in a similar fashion. Uh, we see him glorify God. But first we have to really see it for what it is. Let's look at Mary's response. Mary's response again. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's a big deal. It's a big point that's being made there. He's in the kingly line. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what type of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And she says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Mary's response is, how will this be? Do you see the difference? Particularly the New International Version here is trying to show us the distinction between the two. How can this be versus how will this be? Now Mary, Mary's most likely around 15 years old. Uh, we're not entirely sure, but we would make an educated guess to say that she could not read or write. Uh, she is in a very poor area, a simple place. Uh, she's going through this terrifying experience. Again, when we come to the Scripture, we need to be reminded year after year when we open it up, the idea of an angel coming and standing before you, they are terrified when this happens. And the angel says to her, inside of you, the Holy Spirit, there has now been conceived a baby. And her response is, how will this be? That that thing you just said about me being a virgin and conceiving, let's talk about that. Because I've never been with a man. What, What does this mean? How does this look? What should I expect? You see, this is a top down faith, a faith that is built on the promises of God. She's not asking, how could this happen? How can this happen? She's asking, how will this happen? She's expecting that if this is a promise of God, then it will happen. So there's two ways to live. There's this way to live that is bottom up, and what we get out of that is worry. Because if you live a life that is bottom up, you, you are worried in your approach because it has to do with your strength, with what you can do, what you have gone through, what you have experienced. But then there's a second way to live, which is top down way to live, which is all about worship. It's an understanding that it's all about God and not about me. So the top down approach is all about worship. So if you look back again at Scripture, Luke chapter 1 and 46 where we see Mary's Magnificat, you've heard it called before. That's the Latin phrasing for what this is. So that that word, the basis of that word is the idea of the magnification of God. And so what we see here is she points out for herself her own weakness. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Circle that, mark it, highlight it, the word Savior there. We live in an area, we live in an environment that has a lot of Catholic influence in it, and there's the, the misunderstanding of this text. We have to dive in here for a second to be able to say, Mary needs a Savior. Mary needs a Savior. Her own weakness, her own frailty, her own humility says that she needs a Savior. We need to not be confused, not be uh, misunderstood to think that Mary was sinless in her own right, that Mary had something about her that was perfect in its right, but to understand that had everything to do with the Holy Spirit of the one who was residing in her. She says, I need a God. I need my Savior. He has been mindful of my humble state. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And watch all these verses. So first she sees her own weakness. Now she talks about her God and his strength. 
The mighty one has done great things. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from the thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So she sees her own need, but she also sees God's great strength. She sees her place in history. She's looking back. She's looking at history. Even if she couldn't read and write, she knew the story. She knew that history had shown itself again and again and again that God was going to take the humble and and lift them up, elevate them up. He's going to take the prideful and knock them down. He was going to take those who were hungry and feed them. And she sees her place in history, and she sees how God was going to use the Messiah going forward to do the same thing. Now, we just talked in our previous series of Matthew, going into Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. He says that over and over and over again there. But the beginning of the book of Matthew chapter 5, we get the, the passage about the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are. And the list goes right down through the same similar list. Those who are weak, those who are frail, those who are humble. So Jesus is actually preaching the same message that she is teaching here through her song. She knows her own weakness. She knows God's strength. And then she talks about God's people. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. What? Just as he promised to our ancestors. And then she stayed with Elizabeth three months before she returned home. It's a beautiful thing for her to be able to share this, this legacy of what is being done. And she is doing it with this focus, this idea of, well, how will this be? How will you show this? How will you demonstrate this? In many ways, it should sound kind of familiar to you. Maybe not because of Mary herself, but because this is the story that's being told all through Scripture. This is the thesis that's being told all through the Bibles that we have before us. This is Mary's Song And musically, uh, I don't know what the tune was. If we had hymnals in our pews this morning, uh, each of our hymnals, uh, when you open up a hymnal, there is the song, which has the poetry of the song, but then there's always the song tune, which means this is the melody line that you would sing the song to. And, and oftentimes, we get an established song tune that goes with that song. But here at Christmas time, there's, there's an example of, of a song that we actually have two different tunes that we will interchange at times. It's a song, Away in a Manger. There's, there's two different tunes that we often sing that song to. I don't know if you're aware of that. Or, or the uh, O Come All You Faithful is another one that has a couple of different tunes, a couple of different versions of Christmas songs that we sing. And so oftentimes in the early hymnals, you would have uh, uh, poetry in the front of the hymnal, and in the back of the hymnal, you would have all the song tunes. So then you would just pick whatever tune you wanted to match up with that song, so you could sing a different song. But in many ways, in our Western music particularly, all of our music has the same song or the same scale, the same music. And it's being put together in different ways, but it's still the same. We have 12 notes in our chromatic scale. You know, you have the ones that you probably know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but then there's the chromatic differences to be able to get you 12 notes in that scale. And all of our works of music, particularly in Western music, are all functioning on the same scale. 
So when you hear a song, there's a lot of times you'll hear a song that sounds like one that you've heard before, or the chord changes sound like something you've heard before. Uh, it's, a, it's a change off of a Beatles song, or it's a change off of uh, a, a different type of music, of a Bach uh, uh, opera, or something like that. And you start looking through those things, you start making those connections. What happens here is her song is actually a shared song or a shared story of another song. It's a shared song or a shared story of an Old Testament song. She just met with Elizabeth and be able to celebrate with her. But there's, there's not just Elizabeth and Zachariah. There's this other story in Scripture that we have of a woman who could not give birth and had waited at the temple for years and years and years and was trying to have birth. Do you know her name? Some of you know. It's Hannah. It's Hannah and her husband Elkanah. Now, now some of you thought, oh, it was Abraham and Sarah. I saw you. I saw someone whisper it. You were wrong. Sorry. This time we're talking about Hannah, her husband, Elkanah. And there was another wife. They were coming and she was praying, give me a child, give me a child. But Elkanah had another wife. You know what her name was? Fertile Myrtle. This woman had a ton of kids. And it was a reminder to Hannah again and again and again that she could not have children. And yet Elkanah was having children with his other wife. And then she finds out, after being in the temple, do you remember she went to the temple, she was praying, her lips were moving, she was murmuring, she was complaining, or not complaining, she was just murmuring and talking and praying before God. And the, and the priest comes in and he talks to her and he basically implies, like, you, you're loaded. You've had too much to drink, you've had too much wine, you need to get out of here, beat it. She says, no, I'm praying. And in that, God answers her prayer and gives her a son. Here's her response. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hannah says this. This should sound like a familiar tune. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In my Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. So do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who is barren has seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death, he makes them alive. He brings down the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heaps. He seats them with the princes and has an inheritance of the throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. <coughs> he will guard the feet of his faithful servants. But the wicked will be silenced in a place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is a shared song. This is a shared story. What Mary is singing about is the same song that is, that is being sung. Hannah sings here about her own weakness. She sings here about God's strength and the power that he has to do what? To turn things upside down. When we talk about having a bottom-up view of the world versus a top-down view, we, we have to understand that the world that we live in because of our sin is an upside-down world. And what does God do? He comes into an upside-down world, turns it upside-down, and therefore it is a right-side-up world. Did you catch that? 
So we see Hannah's weakness, we see God's strength, and we see similarly God's people, the people of Israel. God's people would prevail. That's the story that is being told. That's the shared song that Mary is grabbing a hold of. Some of you are familiar with a, a popular artist, a pop artist, I guess we could call her, Taylor Swift. Uh, she has written a number of songs at the top of the Billboard charts. What's particularly interesting about her is that she has won country music awards. She has won pop music awards. She's won R&B awards. She's won basically every award that you can win. But what's usually uh, unique about her, that very different from many of the other pop stars of her age and her day, uh, are that she writes her own music. And she sings her own songs. And she plays her own instruments. It's not someone else's work. And particularly interesting is that she, uh, at the top of the Billboard charts with her song Shake It Off, which some of you know or don't know, uh, it was replaced number one in the Billboard charts, the only time it's ever happened, by her own song, also was at the top of the Billboard charts, number one, her song Blank Space. And so uh, she replaced her number one song with a number one song. Here's what you need to know about Taylor Swift. Don't ever go on a date with Taylor Swift (laughs) because she'll write a song about you. That's her whole, like, her songs are all about her life, and there's many things that go that. So, so if you, you could say that if you sing, if you know Taylor Swift's songs, you are singing the song of her life. Her life is being laid out there for you to sing her song. What if someone was singing your song? What story would it tell? What approach to life would it demonstrate? As a band comes up this morning... We can sing different songs. We can memorize different music. But what is the story that is being told? This is the song of Mary. And Mary's song was a a bigger collection of of the song of Hannah and the songs that we see in Psalms of David and those type of things. This is the song that she was singing. Now you can memorize a Taylor Swift song. You can memorize this song if you want. But just memorizing it isn't enough. Let me, let me give an example. So if I, uh, and I oftentimes say this, uh, I'll tell my girls, I'll say, girls, before you get on the bus, I need you to take out the trash and the recycling. And I get in the car and I drive to work. I come back home, I see the trash and the recycling, we're not taken out to the curb. And I go in and I talk to Delia, I talk to Hazel, and I say, girls, what happened? Were you here? Do you remember what I said before you left, before I left? And Delia, of course, she would probably be the one that speaks up and she says, dad, yes. I remember, quote, before you go to school, before you get on the bus, take out the trash, take out the recycling, unquote, dad. I memorized it. I said, wait a minute. The trash has not been taken out. The stuff has not been taken out. You didn't do anything I asked. She said, oh, but we did. We, 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 we gathered some people together. We, we called up our friends. We brought them over, and we talked about what you said. And they all memorized it too. And they actually, we, we looked in, we dove in, and we, we dug in, and we said, when you said girls, in the Greek, that's plural. So that meant that you wanted us to both take out the trash or the recycling. You see where I'm going with this? Just because we memorize it doesn't mean anything. You see, a bottom-up approach says, uh, this is what we'll end up saying when we realize this is what Zacharias was saying. I'm too insignificant. I'm too weak. I've never done this before. And so therefore, I am unsure, can God even do this? But a top-down approach, a top-down approach to life says, my confidence is in God. My strength comes from the Lord. And my hope is secure. 
And then the actions of that actually live out what you say that you believe. Don't just memorize it. Actually do it. Actually live it out. Actually believe in it. My confidence is God. My strength comes from the Lord. My hope is secure. If you claim to have a top-down approach to life, does it look like it? If someone was singing the song of your life, does it look like that? Does your Twitter feed, make your Twitter feed uh, aware of the fact that you have confidence in God. Make your Facebook post aware of the fact that you have confidence in God and that you know that your hope is secure. You see, there's two ways to live our lives, but there's one choice to make. There's one choice to make. Putting God on the throne, understanding this. As Elizabeth talked to Mary, she said, I heard the sound of your greeting. It reached my ears. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. She actually was going to live it out. In just a few days, a few weeks, we'll we'll, we'll preach. We'll talk through the, the verse that we hear the angels saying, uh, there's good news of great joy to all people. For unto us is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news to be shared. The good news of the gospel. God's only Son provides everlasting life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Not whoever memorizes him. Whoever believes in him and actually moves forward and walks through this life, the way to live their life with a, with a focus that may be upside down to the rest of your friends and family. But we serve a God who has turned all things upside down. He sent his son to die on a cross for you and for me. That's upside down thinking. So the choice that we have to make, will you believe just like Mary did, believe that the Lord will fulfill the promises and live like you believe it. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for those who are at home watching. We thank you for those who are here in the room today. Lord, may each of us make a choice here today to live our lives as if and because we believe in your promises. We are living in a world that is confused. We are living in a world that is uh, seemingly chaotic and concerning. But Lord, we also serve the God of the universe. Lord, we can have confidence in you. Lord, our hope is in you and our hope is secure. Let us live that way. In Jesus' name we pray.